I too have a story about fruit at gathering. Growing up, um, I grew up in an Italian family. We were a large family. Uh, my dad had uh, eight brothers uh, and one sister. And it was a tradition on Christmas Eve for us to get together and celebrate. And in that celebration, as we were getting a little bit older, as at least for me, four or five years old, we would start with all our cousins and we would exchange gifts. And it was a common practice. But one year, someone received a fruitcake. And I hear a couple chuckles. And, and fruitcake is one of those things that um, kind of is, is, is extreme. You either love it or you hate it. I don't find too many people neutral on fruitcake. Well, the following year, we got together again, and gifts were exchanged, and you'll never guess what happened. The fruitcake got regifted. <laughs> and the next year, this happened. And the next year, this happened. And it went on. It became the standard family joke when we got together. Who's going to get the fruitcake this year? Well, interestingly enough, I don't know how many years passed, my mom received the fruitcake. She liked it. <laughs> I didn't, but she did. So I thought today we would talk a little bit about fruit. You know, fruit is a common theme through scriptures. The scriptures begin and end with fruit. Adam and Eve were told that they could eat from any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they didn't obey. And they were removed from the garden so they would not eat the fruit from the tree of life. And the Bible ends with actually an invitation to actually eat from that. Fig tree is the first tree that's mentioned in scriptures. Adam and Eve tried to cover up their nakedness. Um, I guess Adam didn't realize at the time that if you cut a fig leaf from the tree, um, it withers. So their clothing would not have lasted too long. Later on, the fig tree was used to symbolize the nation of Israel. And when Jesus came seeking some food, he found a fig tree, but it had not borne any fruit. And he cursed it. And he said, may this tree never, ever bear fruit again. Thus, the nation of Israel no longer had favored status. The message of salvation now, as originally planned, goes to the whole world. Because the nation of Israel had failed to produce the kind of fruit that God was looking for. Pomegranate is another tree fruit that is common in scriptures, particularly amongst the sanctuary service. Pomegranate and bells were attached to the high priest's garment. The pomegranate signifying the first advent of Christ, the bells signifying the second advent of Christ. Remember that when Christ returns, we are going to shout and look up and shout for a redemption draws nigh. But with the pomegranate, if you've ever eaten pomegranate, I didn't until I met my wife, um, it's the fruit, um, red, plenty, juice, 
if you're wearing white in particular, don't get it on you because it's not coming out. Very much like the blood of Christ when it covers you. This is why I believe that when Paul was talking about that if you are Christ, you are the seed of Abraham, not seeds, I believe he in part was thinking of the pomegranate because if you've ever opened up a pomegranate, it's filled with seeds. Um, and Israel had a, tend to, had a uh, tendency to interpret the Bible that they're the center, not God. And as we know, Christ. In his ministry, Jesus used fruit as a metaphor. Speaking of false prophets, he said, you will know them by their fruits. He continues and says, good trees bear good fruit. But what does a bad tree produce? Bad fruit. And he said, therefore, by the fruits, you will know them. Which leads us to today's scripture reading for today's little sermonette. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 but I would like to read the whole context. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified what? The flesh which is the passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let none of us become conceited. Let none of us provoke one another. Let none of us envy one another. So I have a question. If you were gathering fruit for your fruitcake, one that you would eat, or perhaps fruit salad, which is a little bit more tastier for most people, what kind of fruit would you use? Any ideas? Would it be apples? Grapes? Grapefruit? <laughs> put, a little, put a little something in there to, 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 to season that one. How about bananas? Mangoes, I hear. Oh, I love mangoes. Figs? Bananas? Well, God gave us a recipe for his fruitcake, and it was found in Galatians. Now, I'd like to ask a little bit of uh, forbearance. Um, I'm going to save, he begins with love, but I'm going to save love for last. Because if you understand the progression of what Paul is doing when he says that a fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, everything that comes after love actually is defining what love is. When he speaks of joy, interestingly enough, the disciples, when they were persecuted and whipped, they were filled with great joy. Not exactly the type of thing that we would sit back and think of. Peter encourages us when he talks of joy, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
As humans, we don't associate suffering and joy, but yet the Bible does. Now, John likes to expound upon it a little bit, and he says there is no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. My question is this, where does joy come from? Is joy something that requires external stimulation? Is joy dependent on your circumstances? Does it come from without? Or is joy something that is a gift from God that comes from within? Does it come from the knowledge of God? Does it come from his Holy Spirit? Likewise, what about peace? Jesus gave us this great promise. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let you be afraid. Again, where does peace come from? Is it dependent upon circumstances? Do we allow circumstances to control us? Or we're reminded that Jesus has already overcome the world. Again, I would submit to you that peace comes from the knowledge of God. Peace is a gift from God through his Holy Spirit. Then there is long-suffering, and some Bible translations will say patience. When you're thinking of long-suffering, you may think of these words from Peter. In 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish. But we need to finish it. But that all should come to repentance. We have a tendency sometimes to forget that part. And considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. But there's also a promise that we too can take that produces this fruit. But those who wait on the Lord, speaking from Isaiah 40, 31, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with like wings of eagles. They shall run, but not be weary. They shall walk, but not be faint. The time may come that we may have to claim that promise. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I have to claim it every single day. We cannot wait until the cup of iniquity of the earth is filled to claim that fruit, because if you do, it just may be a little bit too late. The next fruit is kindness. What can we say about that? I think the Bible says it best. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to who? To one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Sometimes that can be difficult, can it not? But yet Jesus forgave us, just as God, through Christ, forgives you, forgives me. I would invite all of us to reflect on how we treat one another. Solomon in Proverbs 6, 
16 through 19 had these things, words to say. These six things the Lord hates, yet seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, but what was the straw that broke the camel's back? One who sows discord amongst the brethren. See, if we understand the great controversy, we understand that Korah's rebellion, if you're familiar with that story in number 16, if you're not familiar with it, go. Uh, Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron. It's a snapshot of what happened in heaven when Lucifer, rather than speaking with God, just as Korah went around and rounded up 250 princes to stand against Moses, Korah went around and whispered, We can be like God. We don't need his instruction. We're just as holy as he is. How do we handle gossip in the church? More and over, how do we define gossip that causes discord? Now, here's my observation how men define gossip. If you talk about a friend or talk to me about family, uh-uh. Now you're gossiping. But if you talk about someone that maybe is not quite my friend, tell me more. I agree with you. Is that not what we have a tendency to do? Don't answer. But how does God define gossip? Keeping in mind that the tribe of Dan was known as backbiters, known for their gossip, and they lost their inheritance. Here's how I believe God defines gossip. Anything that you would say to others about someone, but not say it to the person directly. What did Paul say? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you and I. What about goodness? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? Forever. Jeremiah, when he was lamenting for the sins of Judah and what had befallen her in Lamentations, reminds us of true faithfulness. Though the Lord's mercies are not, we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness. You know, it's interesting. We, when we talk about the Dark Ages, we talk about how the Bible was not available to the general public. And we call that the Dark Ages. I'm convinced that we are still live in Dark Ages because the true character of God is not really known. And it is our job our responsibility 
to make it known. The next is gentleness, or sometimes meekness. The third beatitude, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, or humble, for they shall inherit what? The earth. Was Christ meek? Was Christ gentle? Are we not supposed to follow his example, not our example? One of my favorite verses in scriptures when we talk about how the character of God has been hidden is found in John 14.9. Philip comes to Jesus and asks, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. And Jesus said to him, have you been with me so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. When we look upon Christ, we are seeing the true character of God. A unified trinity, not one fighting against one another. David wrote in the Psalms, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Then we come to self-control or temperance. I'll not talk about fellowship lunch or the dessert table. We, we, we don't eat pork, but give us the sugar, right? Suck it up a little bit. Self-control, unless you're different than me, is not something we like to practice. We remember we are told by the spirit of prophecy that the state of the dead is critical to avoiding the wiles of the devil, critical for the end time. My question is this. Are each and every one of us prepared to die to self? Because that is the only thing that will get us through. Unless you're different than me, I don't know about you, but the hardest person in the world to say no to is me. But the scriptures give us some words of encouragement for the times of trouble, the times of temptation, like fellowship lunch. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the power, love, and of a sound mind. And that brings me to the last, but the first of the fruit of the Spirit. Love. As I mentioned, if you understand what Paul was doing when he started with love, everything that came afterwards with love is a definition of how love manifests itself. Christ, when he went to the fig tree, was looking for a people who bear that fruit. Are we going to bear that fruit? John, in his relationship to God, speaks of love, but we know this, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Love God is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Jesus said, But I say to you, excuse me, let me back up a verse. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus said, I say to you, what do we do with our enemies? 
love them, even if they are in the church. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. These things do not come natural, at least to me. But when you look at Jesus, they're so much easier. Paul reminds us that love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And John reminds us in 1 John 4.19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. John doesn't stop there. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can you possibly love God with whom you have not seen? And I'm going to leave you with this final comment. The scriptures is filled with the commandment to love one another as yourself. But I actually like what John wrote in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So far, there's nothing new about that. But he has this little admonition. That you love one another as I have loved you. See, I don't know about you, but if I use my love to you and I use myself as an example, I'm imperfect. When God gave the commandment, it was the best he could do until Jesus came. And now the bar has been raised when he says about love one another. See, I don't know about you, but you can find that message about love one another in every Christian church, regardless of how close or far they are from the truth. You cannot even find this taught among other religions, even among atheists. But Christ gives us the perfect example to love one another as he loves. For there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for a friend. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there can be no law. As you live your life, here's the admonition that I've given myself. Everything I do, everything I say, how does it bring glory to God? In Jesus' name, amen.